Thank you, worship team. Hi, my name is Matt. <laughs> it's good to be back here. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I've been eager to um, be back, but uh, especially eager to thank you, Elam, um, for all your prayers uh, for the recent surgery, um, the battle with the leukemia, and um, for Cindy's foot, which is not a healing like we'd like. But uh, we certainly can testify we've been sustained. We felt sustained by your prayers and, uh, and carried by them. And each meal, each gesture has been an incredible blessing to us. Uh, thank you to Jerry and Adam, uh, who stepped in just so eager to, to share the word and continue on in Luke. Thank you, Tim, uh, for stepping in this morning and all the elders and all the things I'm sure they've done and are doing that I'm not even aware of. Um, thank you, everybody, for all that. Um, we just love you and are so grateful. And uh, by update, I'm feeling better, recovering from surgery step by step. And um, God's been so merciful to me and to Cindy. Uh, Cindy's foot continues to be problematic. She's on a, like a therapy machine vacuum thing and this big thing she's got to be carry around for the next month. And so uh, that's kind of a bummer for her. Um, but uh, your prayers, again, we feel them and we're grateful for them. Um, not sure all that, you know, when you know, God does stuff and allows stuff, you're not sure all that, that means moving forward, but I do know uh, he's poured out his mercy on us. I also know that his word and his, wis his, his wisdom has provided guidance, uh, will continue to provide guidance and life and light in my life and all of our lives, and so that's why we open his word uh, every Sunday morning, and uh, we want to do that. So I just exhort you to open to Luke chapter 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's uh, probably some in the row before you on the bottom there. I strongly encourage you to, to bring the Bible with you um, so we can learn together. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, it's the third book in the New Testament, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to be in chapter 2, verse 39 to 52, are the verses we're going to be looking at uh, together. Picking up where Adam left off. Let me read these verses and then we'll ask God to teach us. Luke chapter 2, verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew, became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in a group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And as when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we began uh, this study asking you to help us to learn to see. See your heart. Lord, we, we've asked you to help us to hear. That we have ears to hear what your spirit wants to say to us. God, we ask you to help us feel. Lord, that we would be burdened for what burdens you. And Lord, in all that, we've asked you and continue to ask you, help us to learn to love. To love like you do. And Lord, I know if that would take place, if we'd continue to learn in those ways, we'd become who you want us to be. We'd live like you want us to live. And the Gospel of Luke would be accomplishing some of the purposes you have for it in our life. So open our minds, our hearts, that we would hear you, we'd see you, we'd feel you, we'd love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I uh, um, have a wife who loves Shutterfly. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Some of you, look at some of you ladies are smiling big. Uh, you're tracking. And, uh, and what Cindy likes to do is she, she likes to take childhood pictures and kind of compile them into this one book. My kids don't like it all the time, but uh, it, she, she gets into it. So we got a lot of Shutterfly books. And, and, and I got to be honest, it is fun to pick them up and just kind of leaf through and see the snapshots of our kids. And uh, it's, it's very delightful and, and um, fun to look back. It's some of their early years when we look back and we see them playing and climbing and some of the holiday gatherings and some of their first day of school and then each year uh, beyond that. Um, we see other family members interact with them. Um, it just reminded that their childhood, our childhoods, are places to grow and, and to learn. Times of creativity and discovering the ups and downs of the world that they live in. God has been gracious to show us snapshots of his son's own childhood. And it provides for you and I a model of healthy growth. This is a precious family album we're looking at. Now, it's not in great detail, but the snapshots communicate so much to us. And so we want to look at them. Now, between verse 38 and 39, if you look, you might want to write in the margin Matthew chapter 2. Because verse 38 says, Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks and to speak of him and all who were waiting in the redemption of Israel or Jerusalem. That's Anna, the prophet. And verse 39 says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee. Matthew 2 tells us the family was in Bethlehem, and apparently they settled there for a while. And during the next year or so, we read about magi who come, who see the star in the east, and they arrive in Jerusalem, and they ask King Herod, if you remember Matthew 2 account, where they could find the one born king of the Jews. Well, they get directed to Bethlehem, where they worship the Christ child. But the city soon saw this jealous madman, this paranoid Herod, who slaughtered the baby boys two years and younger out of fear of another king. Fortunately, an angel forewarned Joseph of Herod's slaughter and Herod's wicked intent. 
and he had the family sent to Egypt. And when this murderous king died, an angel again appeared to Joseph and told him he was now safe to return. Led by God, Joseph took his family through Judea into Galilee and settled in safety and obscurity of his and Mary's hometown of Nazareth, which is what we pick up in verse 39. And so Luke picks up the story after they've returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth, is what he writes. What a relief to come home that must have been. I mean, think about it. Away from family, probably away from friends, and they come home. Probably some of them said, wow, the baby sure has grown. Or how have you guys been? And so you can imagine, if you've been gone for years and you come home, some of those conversations, so try to put yourself in the text. And so they return to Nazareth. And there's four names that I find in this text which are incredibly instructive, and they serve as really snapshots, snapshots of Jesus' development. Each name's an identification, again, or a snapshot. The first one we find in verse 40, and the child. Jesus the child. It's really during his grade school years. Who's here is in grade school? Lift your hand up. I'm not going to just, come on, get your hand up if you're in grade school. I know some of you. Okay. And so this is a snapshot of Jesus in grade school. And it's pretty interesting because it tells us something very important about him. It says the child grew. We could think physically because that was true, right? Intellectually, spiritually, all that would be true. He became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. It's almost like Luke writes casually, in a sense, child grew and became strong, like, like, like normal, like any other child would have grown and became strong. But while that might have been a normal process, this was not a normal boy. This, is, this son is, is a little different. And although the sinless son of God, he had a normal childhood. He had chores to do. Kids, so when your parents tell you to do chores and you do them, you're acting like Jesus would. You're welcome, Mom and Dad. They had friends he went and played with, I'm sure. He had tasks he had to complete. He read the scriptures. That we can be sure of. And I thought for a moment, I thought, you know, that can be an awkward age, grade school. A lot of changes and starting new classes can be a little intimidating. And for those in grade school, listen to me, Jesus understands. That awkwardness, that, that difficulty when kids can be mean, isn't that cool to know Jesus understands what you're going through? You get to pray to him and say, say Jesus, I had a rough day. I had these people picking on me. And know that the one you pray to gets it. That's pretty cool. And that's what we're taught here. Jesus was a child. He gets kids can be mean. He gets how awkward it can be at times. And you can pray to him knowing he understands. Because physically, intellectually, and spiritually, he grew. Now when we see that he grew in wisdom, wisdom includes knowledge, which speaks to Jesus having a hunger to learn. He grew in this way. He was hungry to learn. He grew in his understanding of himself, of his identity, and of his calling. However, this wisdom of Jesus goes beyond mere knowledge. 
Uniquely and mysteriously, the Father's hand of grace was upon him, guiding him toward that divine calling. William Barclay, in his commentary on Luke, writes, Jesus must have discovered his own unique relationship to the Father. He cannot have known it when he was a baby in a manger. And as the years went on, he must have thought about it, and then with manhood dawning on him, there came a sudden blaze of realization, the consciousness that he was not as other men are. That in a unique and special sense, he was the Son of God. Now as you look at verse 41 and 42, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, now 12 years old might seem young to be formulating a personal identity and mission. Not many 12-year-olds think about those things. But here is a key transition in this book. As we see this trip to Jerusalem take place, we see in Jesus an awareness of his special relationship to the Father. In other words, Jesus sees his life as framed by a divine mandate. This is a significant transition in Jesus' life. It's Passover, we're told in verse 41. And as a devout couple, Joseph and Mary would have made that trek year after year to this feast of the Passover. It celebrated the deliverance of the nation of, of Israel from Egyptian bondage. You'd read about that in Exodus 12 if you want more background on that. And immediately following Passover celebration was a seven-day-long feast of unleavened bread. And, and that entire eight-day period eventually became known collectively as Passover. And so Israelites would make their trip to Jerusalem, and there would be a huge population that made their way back, and they'd celebrate, and they'd worship, and they'd make offerings that would remind them and symbolize their de deliverance. Now, as I thought about that year after year of Joseph and Mary going to Jerusalem, try to think for a moment of like, I, I couldn't help but think of Joseph, maybe hand in hand with Jesus because there was a huge population there. He didn't want to lose the boy, right? Walking through the streets, maybe when he was 9, 10, 11, hearing the bleeding of all the lambs, seeing the sacrifices, Maybe smelling the roasting of the lambs as Joseph held the hand of the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world and not knowing it. Think of what that would have been like. Year after year they went up to celebrate the Passover. But this one, this was different. So we read about the child. But verse 43, we, we have another snapshot. When the feast was ended as they were returning to boy. Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. The boy. This trip's different. Mary and Joseph's little one would never again be a child. And as a 12-year-old, Jesus was months away from becoming a son of the law, a son of the commandment. He was months away, as later would be called, bar mitzvah, a son of the commandment. In Jewish tradition, a boy became a man at the age of 13 and fully responsible to keep the law. Commentator E. Earl Lewis adds this, a Jewish boy entered into full responsibilities of adulthood. And during the prior year, the father was required to acquaint him with the duties and regulations which he was to assume. 
And so this Passover in Jesus' life was a special time of preparation and learning. And as we see, the day came to leave. He wanted to stay. He needed to stay. Verse 43 through 45 raises a question for me. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in a group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So you have three days. Three days equaling one they journeyed out, one they journeyed back, one day they tried to find him, and so you have the three days. But notice a couple things, and again, it's the question that I have. How could they lose their son? Well, it didn't take me long to realize the same way I lost Angela. <laughs> Cindy and I uh, drive to church because I always come early, and so we drive separately. And one day we both got home, and she looked at me. She says, where's Angela? I said, I don't know. And she's supposed to come with you. Of course, it was her fault. And um, she's not here. Uh, so she could twist it on me. But we looked at each other like, uh-oh. And so I, dro I drove back and found a, a crying little girl that I'd left behind because I assumed she had her. And is it too much of a stretch to assume Joseph and Mary look at each other and go, hey, by the way, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you knew where he was. It could have very well been that way. Uh, but also back then, they traveled in a caravan. They did it for safety reasons. It's also like a community. We, you know, we, we love each other. And so if we, we were to be on foot and go from a, point A to B uh, several miles away, we would have probably traveled together. And, and because we know each other's kids a lot of times, and, and one of our boys, hey, can I go walk with uh, Jimmy? And we, yeah, go ahead, just stay with Jimmy. And, and so we would assume we would know where each other is just by being part of the group. And so it, it's not too hard to imagine this happening. But how would you like that? I, I couldn't help but think of poor Joseph and Mary. I mean, how's this for a parenting resume? You lost the son of God. Yeah, tough one. Um, but we know what it is like to lose children that way. After three days, again, they journeyed away, journeyed back, and had a day they were looking for him. They discover him on the third day. And this may hint at the resurrection. Jesus being gone and then three days later rising from the dead. It, it might be a hint to that. Take that for what it's worth. In verse 46, 47, we, we read more about this boy. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. They searched for him. Three days, they find him in the temple. He's sitting among teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Now, don't fly over verse 46. This is Passover. The brightest and the most learned men returned. This is an opportunity he wouldn't have had in Nazareth. This is the brightest of the brightest he's, he's going toe-to-toe -to -toe with. And, and, and these were very renowned and known teachers in all of Israel that he's sitting with and talking with. And all who heard it were amazed. The Greek tense suggests they were amazed and amazed and amazed. They kept being amazed by the things coming out of Jesus' mouth. The questions, the answers he was giving, his interaction. Now Mary and Joseph, uh, and all who heard him were amazed at their understanding. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. 
I find that kind of an interesting response from Mary and Joseph. They're astonished. The, the word's interesting. It means to strike with panic or shock. I think their initial response is, okay, we find him in the temple, but look at him. I mean, he's holding his own. He's, he's stumping these. And so maybe there's an initial shock. Wow. I mean, maybe parental pride even, right? Wow, look at him. But, but that doesn't last long. The shock is transferred a little bit um, to worry, to agitation. And so we have a snapshot of the child, we have a snapshot of the boy, and now we get a snapshot of the son. Verse 48, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. First thing jumps out at me is how come Joseph doesn't say anything? I know in our case, Cindy would look at me and go, it's your baby. And uh, so I find it kind of strange Joseph doesn't say anything. But I kind of guess Mary looked at him and Joseph goes, and so Mary says, okay, I'm going to say something. And she does. And any rush of parental pride may have quickly dissolved into the weight of their worry. And Mary used son the same reason I and you and I use it when we talk to our children, to remind them they're the child. We're the parent. Son, pick that up now. I've said it. If you have a son, you said it. Right? You've instructed them. You use it intentionally to remind them that they're the child. Mary's doing the same thing. Every parent here, you get Mary's rebuke, don't you? You get it. You would have said something real similar. Why did you take off? Didn't you know that would cause us worry? Didn't you know that would cause us distress? We had to come back a full day. We've been looking all over for you, worried, sick. Every parent here gets it. And that's a very human response we see from Mary. Joseph and Mary couldn't make sense of why Jesus was there. This is a huge transition here for Mary and Joseph. They needed to be reminded whose child Jesus was. That first and foremost, this is God's son. That his real father was in heaven. Note the contrast of verse 48, 49. Amazing. And he, he said to them, or first of all, verse, I'm sorry, son, you, why be treated as whole? Behold, your father, okay, your father, Joseph. And then we look at the next verse, and Jesus said to him, why are you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father? So you see Joseph and Mary saying, hey, your father, and Jesus says, well, wait a minute. My father's up there. Now, here's a really interesting note. This is the last time Joseph is seen. We don't read about him anymore. And so significant transition, isn't it? Your father? Jesus says, uh-uh. That's my father. And Joseph just disappears from the text. I mean, there's a lot of different historical accounts of maybe what happened to Joseph when he passed and those different things. And I'm not going to go into that right now. But it's very interesting to me that he disappears from the text. Verse 49, look very, very closely. Jesus said to them, 
Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, don't fly by that because these are the first recorded words of Jesus. And they express his unique relationship to his father. And Luke's inclusion of these words is very significant. Even Mary and Joseph, who lovingly parented Jesus through boyhood, had difficulty understanding this mysterious relationship of Jesus with his heavenly father. There's these pangs, I think, of Jesus' priorities that Mary and Joseph are being felt here. Now Luke's already presented compelling testimony that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Chapter 1, verse 31. 35. The one through whom God would redeem and save his people. The end of chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. Jerry talked about it. Verse 27 through 38. In this passage in Luke 2, we have testimony from angels. Adam talked about testimony of Simeon and Anna. And now we have the testimony of Jesus himself. And Luke reveals at the age of 12, Jesus had understanding of his nature and his mission. He was the son of God who came to do the Father's will. And in this confession, Jesus made it clear his first priority was to do the will of the Father. Not in the ultimate sense of, Jesus, of Joseph's son. He was the eternal son of God who came from heaven and as such was under the authority of his heavenly Father. John 5.20 we read about this dynamic of the father and son's intimate relationship. For the father loves the son, John writes, and shows him all that he himself is doing. I mean, little do we know in Luke that we have what theologians call ontological equality. In other words, there's a unity of the Godhead we start to see with, with economic trinity. In other words, the activity of God. This is the only place, this Jesus is the first one to ever call God, my Father. No one else could. The only begotten Son. It's a, it's a loaded, profound confession Jesus makes here. We dare not miss it. And it's a key implication. The world tells us to treat Jesus as any other religious figure among many in history. Luke does not give us that option. Rather, as the unique son, Jesus has exclusive rights to reveal the way of God. And one either accepts that or rejects that revelation. But let's avoid any nonsense of claiming Jesus was just one of many religious teachers. He's in a class all his own. Then we get to verse 50 and 51. They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Yeah, I get that. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Don't underestimate why verse 51 says what it is. Because it's almost like God knew we could look at Jesus staying behind and say, see, I don't have to look at my parents, listen to my parents. And God says, well, wait a minute, read, read, read verse 51. He was submissive to them. Because it's the Father's will that he lived that way. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I couldn't help but read that part and think of Simeon's prophecy that even a sword would pierce her heart. We begin to see the beginning of that piercing, that pain Mary began to feel as she had to somehow comprehend that this son would need to become her savior. 
What a huge transition. We can't fully appreciate it, what's going on in our mind. Verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. Verse 52 tells us from the snapshot of this child, the son, is Jesus. We read the name, verse 52, Jesus. It's his final snapshot. And it communicates to us that there's this time, verse 15, 51, that parents need to come to grips with their children leaving home. Moving into a new phase. You can get maybe some of this emotion. I sure got it. Ben just left a couple weeks ago. David's moving next weekend. Some parents want their kids out of the house. I'm not one of them. I, this is a brutal time to be a parent. I'm not liking it even a little. But I also recognize it's a transition every parent needs to make. It's a tough one. But this pales in comparison to what Joseph and Mary are trying to wrestle with. That's for sure. But what emerges out of these snapshots is now Jesus. The image of Jesus is highlighted by the words he kept increasing. This word increasing has this idea of advancing, of progressing. This was going to be, by the way, put to a severe test of his understanding of his role as we read a little bit more about when the devil tempts him. His understanding of that role is going to be put to a severe test. This child in verse 40 has become a young man by verse 52. Blazing the trail to his destiny of being the Messiah. And we won't hear about Jesus to some 18 years later. When we go into Luke 3. And so, how do I wrap this up? There are, some thought, there are a lot of thoughts that came to mind. One is just a parent. And trying to put myself in Mary and Joseph's shoes a little bit. But there were some things that really emerged in my mind. One, Jesus took on humanity to show us how to live and walk with God. Really quite simple. He grew in favor with God. He grew in a a sense of pleasing God. And as he did that, he grew in favor with man. Don't mistake the order. He was a great model for us to how to live. Here in this text, every preteen in this room, every teenager can learn from Jesus' example of seeking to know God better, making that your first priority. That ought to be all of our focus. And Jesus, as he took on humanity, gave you and I a great model to follow. But there's another thing. And, and Adam made a statement last week that kind of drove my thoughts as well. Adam said, God meticulously, I love that word, puts his plan in place. And as I read this text, I couldn't help but think of the fact that God has a plan for your life. Joseph and Mary had to align their life with that plan. It didn't make sense to them. As a matter of fact, God's plan unsettled them greatly. And God has a plan for your life, and it might be unsettling. It might make absolutely no sense. But he calls you to align your life with his plan, not ask God to align his plan with our life. To me, that's a huge application here. God has a plan for your life. Align your life with it. Even if it makes taking you to a place where the majority aren't going. I don't know what that plan would be, but align your life with it. As I said, this is a huge transition in the book of Luke. 
And I, I want to encourage you this week to read this over. Continue to reflect on it and say, God, is there, is there some more here? There's a lot more that, 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 you, that he would have for you to learn, to apply in your life. But as I prayed at the beginning, it's still my prayer, and it will be all through Luke, that even through this passage, we've learned to see a little better, learned to hear a little better, learned to feel a little better. And hopefully through that all, can get to the end of these verses and say, I love him a little better by what I see and by what I read. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage. And I'm sure I've totally just skimmed it. But I thank you. It's you, Holy Spirit, who teaches. It's you, Holy Spirit, that enlightens. And I pray that that's happened. For every heart in this room, every mind in this room, I pray that you'd have your way. I pray that every will represented here would surrender to your ways, to your plan. Lord, for everyone in this room who's never trusted you and responded to your call to trust you as Savior, I pray that that would happen. They'd understand their need for you. They'd repent of their sins and going their own way and turn to you. Claim the forgiveness that we sang about earlier. That's only found in you. So Holy Spirit, work mightily in every heart and every mind. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.